Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right next door to the campus where Christy and I went to college at Concordia in Austin was St. Paul's Lutheran Church. Beautiful, beautiful church and a a church we attended pretty regularly, uh, especially we were there every Sunday, our last year there, because Christine's first teaching job was at that congregation. The pastor there was an older guy at that point. He was nearing retirement, but a wonderful, godly man, wonderful pastor. And uh, we got to talking one time about the history of that congregation, and he was telling me how, I can't remember if they had a very, very small basement or if they had no basement. He said, because they started to dig, and as they dug, they ran into a huge rock. And the only way to continue to dig was to deal with this massive rock. And so what they decided was, we're not going to have a basement. We're going to build on top of that big rock instead. Uh, And it made me think a little bit about today's gospel reading, because the rock is the thing that is unavoidable. The rock that is Christ is unavoidable. You either will be crushed or you will build upon that rock. This is the lesson that Jesus is getting across in the the telling of this story. We have this, this wonderful parable. This takes place during Holy Week, and he's telling it right to the very people that it's about. And I love how at the end of it, Luke says, they perceived that he was telling this parable about them. Wow, they're really sharp. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty obvious, wasn't it? Of course he was telling it about them. He tells this parable that really just sums up the history of the Old Testament very succinctly. He says, a man planted a vineyard. And then he let this vineyard out to servants. And he goes off to a far country. Now, when it comes time for them to give back what is rightfully the master's, he sends one servant after another. And what happens? Well, they they mistreat each servant one after another. Finally, it escalates to the point, the last one it says, and they wounded him and sent him away, treating him shamefully. Well, this is just the history of the prophets, isn't it? This is how God's people regarded the prophets sent by God to bring them back to him. Really, this is a loving thing God does again and again and again and again. He's continuously sending his messengers to draw God's people back to him because he cares about them, because he loves them, because he doesn't want them to suffer the repercussions that are justly due for their sin. And so he's calling them to repentance. And what happens? They keep ignoring the message of the prophets. They treat the prophets shamefully. They hurt some of the prophets and even kill some of them. Now, the master has sent prophet after prophet after prophet or servant after servant after servant. And then he says, now, what am I going to do? I'll send my son. And you might think, well, that seems like a really foolish idea, doesn't it? (laughs) If that's how they've regarded those servants, 
You're going to send your son into that? The way in which these people have acted so wickedly, you're going to send your son to them? Really? Yeah, really. That's what he's going to do. He's going to send his son. Jesus being that son who has been sent. And then Jesus says in this parable, here's exactly what's going to happen. (laughs) They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus is taken out of Jerusalem and killed. It's kind of an interesting thing too because the, the son comes and the tenants see him. They say, Oh, this is the heir. Let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. Now, is that how it works? Right? You kill the heir and you say, well, no, the inheritance is mine now. I mean, I, I don't think that's how it works, but I, there's a couple of ways that, that people have tried to approach this. One is to say, well, what they were thinking is maybe if the son is coming to them, maybe the master himself has died, and so here's the only heir, and if they kill the heir, well, then there's no one to claim the property, and they can just keep it. That's trying to make sense of it, but it makes just as much sense to say their plan didn't make sense. (laughs) Because really, the rejection of God's prophets the rejection of God's own son again and again and again and again. It doesn't actually make sense, but it is what people end up doing oftentimes, isn't it? Well, the son is killed, and so what does Jesus say? He will, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The rock that is Christ cannot be ignored. You can't get around it. You can't build in a different place. You are either going to end up building upon Christ or you will end up being crushed by the justice of God. This is what St. Paul had to learn for himself. Uh, He describes this whole idea in Philippians chapter 3. What Jesus was trying to get across to his audience here in this parable, well, remember what we talked about last week. He had come to them and and told them this other parable about the prodigal son, really about who? The loving father who welcomes back the prodigal son because they were angry with Jesus because he had been welcoming sinners and even eating with them. See, they didn't like the gospel message of Jesus. That's what they didn't like. Paul himself didn't like the gospel of message, message of Jesus initially, did he? In fact, that's what he describes. He was a persecutor of the church because he was so zealous in thinking, I can be saved by my own good works if I just strive hard enough. I've got all of the bona fides, right? He, t- he says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, uh, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the people of Israel, uh, 
As to the law of Pharisee, in other words, I took it so seriously that I did everything in my power not to break God's law. Uh, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If you were going to look for somebody who is as good as you could possibly think and who lived up to all of the standards that you could possibly think of, it would be Paul. And yet Paul says, (laughs) it was not going to get the job done. The only hope for me, in spite of all of that, the only hope for me was Jesus. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Writing to the Romans, St. Paul, uh, St. Paul was describing this same idea of righteousness that comes not by your own striving, but righteousness that is by faith in Christ. And in Romans chapter 9, he writes this. What then shall we say? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. What he's trying to get across here is how do you get right with God? Is it by doing everything that is within you, doing your very, very best? Well, under the law, you're still going to be found wanting, aren't you? You're going to come up short. But Paul Paul is marveling at this. The Gentiles who did not even pursue righteousness have attained it. You guys didn't even try your best and you've gotten righteousness. Well, is that, is that fair? Well, no, that's, that's mercy. That's grace. That's the good news of the gospel that in spite of the fact that we have not done everything possible, in spite of the fact that we in fact have sinned against God, our sins are forgiven and we have a righteousness that is by faith in Christ. Paul continues, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling block. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever builds in him will not be put to shame. Whoever builds on Jesus will not be put to shame. He is that rock that cannot be moved. You either come to faith in him and build upon him, or you will end up running up against him and being shattered to pieces. See, the Pharisees, they were still angry with Jesus that he was welcoming sinners, but that was the point. (laughs) And he was exposing their sin, not so that he could say, and see you Pharisees, you you guys are just... The worst, there's no hope for you, but so that they would understand their sin and say, oh, wow, 
God has given a Savior even for sinners like us. I think it's fitting that uh, St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Austin didn't get rid of the rock but built on it. Because that's what we do in the church, isn't it? Here is Christ, that rock that cannot be moved. So what do we do? We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we build our lives upon him, knowing that he is the cornerstone upon which the church is built, upon which our faith is built, upon which our salvation stands firm. Jesus is that rock of salvation for you, for me, and for all sinners who will come to him in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.